Alex and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 15. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Kath, Chris and Dom. Good evening. How are you doing? Good evening. <laughs> Good Hi, evening. <laughs> what have we all been up to this week? Oh, we're doing that polite thing again. <laughs> Chris! No, this is, this, this is actually kind of a mental process you're hearing here. I'm just trying to remember what on earth has gone on. I know, I, I know. I'm, I'm actually waking up in the morning and I have to think really hard as to what day of the week it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not coming naturally at the minute. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really struggling, yeah. really struggling. Yeah, early lockdown dreams were just bizarre but now they're just really mundane it's like, <laughs> i just dreamt about uh, i was wearing a bow tie the other night i mean what's that about <laughs> what, what sort of bow tie was it i mean we just a uh just a dark one i wasn't didn't have it fastened i just had it kind of you know in, in oh. kind of detective films and cash humphrey bogart sort of thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i was just going about my normal business so it wasn't like yeah just wearing this tie i had a dream about zoom the other night Oh, I was oh in a, I was in a Zoom meeting and I know, <laughs> I know. Oh my god. <laughs> and so it begins. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pleasant at all. But anyway, that was my dream. <laughs> Kath, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, save us, Kath. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is? I can't I can't think back over the last seven days and <laughs> think of think of any, anything. I think I've gone past the Zoom stage. Yeah. We we did discover a a nice new place. What well, new to us? You know, every, everyone on this podcast will have heard of this place and have been to it every every weekend for the last twenty years or something. But uh, the Hawksley Nature Reserve. Oh, nice. Um, up. If you're not familiar with it, it's up past Amble. Mm-hmm. I think it's near Jurich Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we kind of made the decision that we really need to go out more and do stuff particularly during the autumn and the winter because otherwise we'll just end up sort of hibernating nocturnal animals with huge eyes mm-hmm. um and hawksley was just one of the places that it was recommended to my wife so we thought oh let's, let's just do it um and it was great it was that really really beautiful um autumn saturday last week mm-hmm. um so just just there with the binoculars, didn't even take the camera. Just went for a little trudge around, and you know it rained a bit, but so what? And it was it was gorgeous. I love finding new places like that. We've been um, we've been homeschooling again for the last couple of weeks. Oh no! Yeah, so uh, just just one of them, just the youngest. Um, but it's it's definitely felt better this time round. If that's if I can use that word at all with homeschooling. But I think because we've got that end in sight, we've got an end date. We know she's going back on Friday. Um, mm. So it doesn't feel as bad. And because it's just one of them um, and the school have been great with all of the home learning stuff as well. So it's it's been less stressful, um, but it's obviously not ideal. But hey, ho. Hey, ho. Hey, ho. <laughs> I've remembered something. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we were living on tender hooks all through the week to know whether altered lockdown restrictions would mean that I couldn't get to the pub on Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh but um but we did. And on Saturday I had a lovely a lovely trip to the Jam Jar Cinema in Whitley Bay. 
right. and watched a super film called 23 Walks, mm. which is really an interesting, heartwarming, sad film to see. But the whole experience in Jam Jar was superb, absolutely mm. superb. So if you get a chance to go to Jam Jar, get yourself down there. Cool. What about you, Dom? You've been sitting there quietly, listening, sitting in. I told you about my bow tie dream. What more? Oh, do you want? Right. He's done. He's spent. <laughs> That's all he's got to offer tonight. On that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? This week we have Libby Morrison, who is a PhD student at Newcastle University, and she's also co-lecturer on the Politics of Happiness course there. We had a really enjoyable conversation about happiness in the care sector, the Politics of Happiness course and the pressures on students and their mental health. So enough of me talking, here is my conversation with Libby. Libby, a very warm welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for your time today. It's much appreciated. Um, I wonder whether you could just maybe introduce yourself, just a, a few minutes, just kind of just tell the listeners who you are, what you do, um, before we move on with the other questions. Okay. Uh, hi, Alex, and thanks for having me uh, today. Um, my name's Libby. Um, I'm 55 years old. Um, I'm originally from Dundee. You can probably hear that, in fact, I'm not a Geordie, um, <laughs> even though I'm speaking here today. But I have been living in Northumberland for nearly 25 years now. Uh, I have two daughters and one grandson. Um, I'm currently a PhD student at Newcastle University. I went there when I was 47 as a very mature student. Um, I did a politics degree and then following from that I've done a master's in human geography and currently say I'm a third year uh, PhD student um, and I'm researching uh, family carers of people with dementia in Northumberland and that's because my parents uh, both have dementia. My dad died sadly just before lockdown mm -hmm. um, but they both had dementia. I'm sorry to hear that and that must have been a difficult time at what has been a bit of a strange weird time it's um yes uh we we were very lucky though in some ways we uh had his funeral um just a few days before the actual lockdown in in march um he had had dementia for a very long time nearly 15 years and had been in uh, residential care for six years so i think um it was it was mixed mixed feelings mm -hmm. um but yes mm -hmm. Do you have any happy memories of him? I've got very many happy memories of him. Uh, he was a he's a wonderful man, um, and he uh, was was a sort of I, when I was kind of growing up as a child in the seventies, he probably wasn't like your typical dad. He was quite a hands on dad. Um, he would take us places um, at weekends. He would take us on mystery tours, and um, he used to do a lot of cooking. Uh, him and my mum were quite a double act in the kitchen at Christmas. You know, he'd be right in there basting the turkey and. He nice. was also uh, very, <laughs> he was a very uh, community minded. Um, he he did a lot for his local community. He, he's, he campaigned to save the local library, which uh, is still open today. Wow. He loved us as children. Uh, he loved his grandchildren. Um, and uh, he, I, I did actually, I was lucky enough to be able to take his great grandson in to meet him at the care home. Um, mm -hmm. And his, his face lit up even then, even at the very end when he couldn't walk or talk, but mm -hmm. he was still smiling at the sight of this young baby coming to see him. 
When, as soon as you mentioned magical mystery tour, um, that's exactly <laughs> what my dad used to do to us. Because I, I was the eldest of three, and yeah, my dad would pile us into the back of the Ford Escort, yep. and we, yeah, we'd go on a mystery tour, uh, <laughs> yeah, just wherever you know. That's yeah, I've got he, strong he memories to, of that too. He used to also. Um, I I was probably called quite a tomboy when when I was growing up. Uh, it's not a term that's used much now, but um, was at the time, and uh, I used to always demand to be taken to say the football match where he was taking my brother and he did he used to take me to the local football uh, at uh, Dundee United and um at, and in those days there weren't even any women's toilets um that's how <laughs> how and there was you went in the father and son's gate <laughs> and me <laughs> nice it, it feels like we've been living parallel lives at the other end of the co- other ends of the country because yes I I was the same my dad used to take us to our local team which was well, Sellers Park, so uh, Crystal Palace and Wimbledon kind of shared the ground at the time and we used to go together, um, you know, one of three girls. I think he was quite glad to have a, a daughter that was into, in, interested in football. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there weren't many girls, um, I, I don't remember, um, in, in the ground, but yeah. So going back to what you said at the, at the very start, you, you, you said you're, you're currently doing a PhD and Every now and then I kind of think to myself, oh, maybe I could do a PhD. And then I go, no, no, I just haven't, I just cannot, got, I haven't got the brain capacity uh, all the time or anything like that. So what, what motivated you? Because that's a, that's a hell of a commitment, a PhD. Um, I, I think that's true. I, I'll be honest, though. I also think that there was, <laughs> there was some pragmatic reasons for me doing it. Um, and that was actually, um, my caring role was, um, was pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and I were coping with two parents um, uh, with with dementia for many many years. It was very difficult, and sometimes, um, I guess, being a student actually gave me some flexibility, which I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have had. I don't think I would have been able to carry on doing the sort of work that I've been doing. I used to do um, paid care and support work. Um, it was very difficult, and um, you were having to some t- sometimes just rush off to meetings or emergencies at home when they were still at home. So. Um, there was a pragmatic um, element to it, and I, I've been paid. I've been very lucky. I have uh, a stipend which has funded funded the PhD. I think without that, undoubtedly, I would not have been able to do it. Um, it's funny. I've had a bit of a break actually over lockdown, so I've just been coming back to it. And I, I maybe I've kind of found again why I was. It, it is important. I think perhaps I'd lost that a little bit when you're in the middle of caring. For mm. somebody with dementia and you're writing about it it can be pretty overwhelming yeah but now that I've had a bit of space from that um I I've been reading say through some transcriptions of, of people that I've interviewed and I and I'm aware just uh how difficult sometimes their lives are so how important it is to maybe try and um uh, get, get that down get that down on paper to mm. to, to to let their voices be heard because uh, very often I think they're they're not so is is that something that brings you um, satisfaction, happiness, spending that research time, that, that dedicated time to your PhD? Is that something that um, you enjoy, you must do, to 
to commit that <laughs> amount of time to it. Most, I'm most sure days I, <laughs> most days I sit there cursing and <laughs> and think, what what on earth am I doing? But I think you're right. I think the, one of the other things that I do, um, and one of the reasons of speaking here today is that um, I, I one of the modules I did um, in my politics degree was the politics of happiness, mm. and I've subsequently gone on to be a teaching assistant on that module, and I'm away to 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 do that again um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that some of that actually told me a little bit more about what different kinds of happiness were. And I think what you're talking about is what would be called the sort of uh, the Greek word um, eudaimonic, which yeah. is more about, a, I know, a fancy I love the words, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's the idea that it's not about just sort of instant gratification. It's about more of a sort of an idea of, of, of sort of happiness through... Um, um, you know, like reaching your full potential. It's about, about more of a lifelong thing, about about sort of purpose and meaning to your life rather mm. than just, you know, I'm off clubbing this weekend and I'm going to have a great time, which is great. <laughs> but yes, so the, the, I think for a lot of people, um, feeling um, valued, feeling that something that you do has has got some use, some purpose that you feel like sort of committed to something. And sometimes that can be a double-edged sword. I think caring's like that. So mm-hmm. the caring can in itself um, be so important. It can also be absolutely draining. Um, but, but, but yeah, I think a lot of carers would probably also say that there was some sense of sort of fulfilment as well. Hmm. We interviewed, um, well, I interviewed Chion Wurra, um a week or so ago and she talked about how um it's only been now that she's older that she kind of recognizes um what brings her happiness in terms of that whole sort of it sort of comes with wisdom and age that as you were saying before yeah going clubbing when you're younger yeah that that brings you sort of a short burst of happiness but i think it's yes that more sort of longevity um and just being aware of yourself um and, and as to what brings you happiness i think which i suppose is a similar yeah thought. i think sometimes too you have um I, I can think of i i can think of a key event that happened in my life that probably changed my outlook profoundly and moved me from that kind of more um i think quite often when you're younger it's a bit me 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 you know it's mm. like it's like my happiness and you know and and you know in some ways might be quite selfish and I, i'm not getting at anyone it's just that's I think there's a stage that you go I think through. we've all been like that, haven't I we? Think, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, when I turned 30, um, uh, when I had my second daughter, she was born with a very serious heart condition. Um, and I had an emergency dash from Dundee through to Edinburgh, where she had to have life-saving surgery, which um, she could easily have died. I had to mm. leave my other daughter, who was only six, behind, mm. um, being cared for by my dad. Uh, again, he's very, very hands-on uh, granddad. Um, it was unbelievably difficult. It was it was horrendous. I'd never been through anything like it. I was terrified. And I can also remember at the same time, this is when the National Lottery was just starting in this country. And I was sitting um, in intensive care by my daughter's um, bedside. And I could hear the nurses talking about um, putting, um, you know, getting lottery tickets for tonight and what they would do if they had the money. And they weren't, they weren't meaning to be insensitive, you know, at all. They were just nurses doing the job. But obviously myself and the other parents who were sitting in, in uh, uh, intensive care were just looking at each other. It was that shared moment of how there was literally nothing that money could have bought me at that moment. Because yeah. the only thing that mattered was that my yeah. daughter would be well and then I could yeah. go back home and be together, you know, um, as, as a family. 
Um, but that profoundly changed me. And thereafter, I think also some of the sort of petty worries that perhaps, um, like a lot of us, you know, we kind of um, focus on, it, it did change it. I, st I stopped worrying as much about things that frankly just didn't seem really important. And certainly material things became very unimportant. I think that idea of, yes, money can buy you happiness is something that we've talked about with a couple of other of our interviewees and and Mark, one of our earlier interviewees, talked about that and how, yeah, it, it can give you, um, yes, it, it probably does bring a certain amount of happiness, but actually it's those, um, it's those memories, those experiences that are what brings happiness rather than that financial. Um, I think as well, it's also around planning because, you know, we... Um, I, and, I, and I think we sometimes do a disservice to young people at, at schools and at universities. There's always the sense that you, you, you've, you've got to do all these things. You know, you need to have these exams and you've got to do this and you've got to do this voluntary thing. And, you know, you've got to get this degree. And, and, and it's all kind of mapped out for them. And it's as if you, if you don't do these things, then you won't be happy. But planning for happiness doesn't work that way because I, I think... The best laid plans, in, as you would say in Scotland, and going after Glee, they just don't always pan out the way that you think. Um, and sometimes if you're putting too much into that planning of what you think might happen, you're going to miss out yeah. on on the sort of happiness of, of, of the now. And certainly when my daughter was born, that just had not come into the equation. Um, and I think a lot of us have these experiences in life um, where, uh, you know, now uh, spending time um, you know, with my family is is it's just fantastic. Um, so grateful. I think we forget, don't we? Um, to just yes, as you say, be in be in the present, be in the now, and you're so you here, there, and everywhere, working, going from one thing to another, and that yeah. definitely affects my kind of happiness levels, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think so, we're all we're all quite time time poor, and I think lockdown. Um, I know an awful lot of friends, you know, we, we talked about actually how freeing it was to open up your diary and go, oh, I haven't got anything to do today. This is amazing. <laughs> um, but also not to feel guilty about that because you couldn't. Mm. And and that in itself was actually really freeing. But it did make me realise just how, you know, um, some of the things that I was doing, I probably didn't really need to. Um, and, and actually the, the very first few weeks of lockdown when I wasn't really able to see anyone, um that's that was all i wasn't missing most of the other i wasn't missing going to the cinema or the theater or you know anything i i missed my daughters i missed mm. my partner i missed mm. my the rest of my family um mm. and and the other thing is that's just thinking because lockdown also again it's this thing about not planning ahead so during lockdown our family um every night we used to do a sort of uh, online zoom thing you know i think a lot of people were doing that but what we did was we all decided that we all had to draw a picture so um every every night somebody picked a theme and you had to pr produce a picture um now that's you know it was it was a lot of fun but it was quite funny too because my sister is brilliant at drawing like really really good and the rest of us frankly are not great so every every evening there would be the sort of ritual humiliation as my sister produced a masterpiece and the rest of us had, had terrible drawings. Um, and we used to think it was quite funny um, and we used to sometimes not let her win 
because because <laughs> they were so good. But one of the wonderful things about it is my sister, like everyone else, has been very busy as well, caring for the last few years. But she is very talented and she's not been able to draw because she hasn't had time. And it gave her time to do that. Mm. And as a result of that, she posted some of her pictures on Facebook. She's now got commissions. And oh, in fact, wow. some, some of her pictures are now in display in a little um, uh, uh, art place in, in, in Ruler where she lives. And um, so I was just so proud. But also, again, it just shows you these things... You know, she would not have planned for that or had the time mm. for that. And sometimes you get these unexpected gifts out of nowhere. It, it's been about sort of looking at the opportunities, isn't it? You know, it's been it's been a really challenging time for, for many of us. And we, we shouldn't sort of downplay that. But at the same time, yes, let's let's see what this has given us um, in terms of, as you say, more time to discover things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Going back to the politics of happiness module then, how did that come about? Because our, our project team just kind of came across, across it as part of our sort of research when we were starting uh, this podcast and this project. Um, where did that module come from? Well, I think uh, uh, David uh, Walker, who's the, the module leader, um, he, he put put this together a, a few years ago and I think that and I guess I can't speak for him but I think that that's come from an interest in you know a lot of the so the Greek philosophers um uh, the Stoics um Aristotle um Epicurus all sorts of interesting names uh, from the from the past um but they're absolutely fascinating um and a lot of the things that they talk about are the things frankly that we talk about now 3,000 mm. odd years later um and um, and and also I think over probably over the last decade or so, there has been a gradual interest amongst politicians um, about happiness, about some of the things that we we value, and that includes looking at, for example, things like economics. You know, you probably know that every time there's a budget in this country, um, we hear about GDP, GDP. What's happening to GDP? You know, we're hearing it now. You know, because of the pandemic. Oh my God. You know, like we're going to um, have a recession. You know, what will happen to GDP? But um, this this sort of um, idea that our whole countries are, are, are run around just just sort of what's of economic value. Um, GDP does not count some of the other things that we value in life, volunteering and caring mm. and things. They, they don't come into that, that no. you know, that monetary value. Um, and um, so, uh, for example, one of the um, in, within the module, one country that we look at is Bhutan. And Bhutan is a very small country, but um, it looked at this um, about, I think it was in the 70s, at the start of the 70s. Um, and instead of having um, GDP, gross domestic product, they actually use um, a measurement called gross national happiness. Oh. So they look at the happiness <laughs> of their, <laughs> um, the, the people who live there, and that's their starting point. And they look at different areas of life. Now, it's not all plain sailing, and I, and I, and I think there's lots of people that might say criticise some of those things. But I think there's lots of countries have been looking at this, as, and they're looking at different models. Um, because again, like we've been talking about earlier, even within our, our sort of own lives, there is a point where happiness doesn't actually keep growing as we get richer or have more money or more material wealth. It does at the earlier stages. So if you're living in abject poverty, you know, having having uh, more resources will make mm. you happier. Mm. But it really comes up to a certain point, and after that point, um, that stops happening. And the, I think, if for example, if you look at uh, young people today um i think a lot of people would talk about an epidemic almost of unhappiness and mental mm. health um, issues um even though 
they're probably living in more peaceful times and have you know more access to um, you know um, further education and and material wealth. It, it's not always about that. It's about other aspects of life. And uh, so uh, so the the module covers early sort of philosophers. Um, but it also covers some of the politics and the economics and also other countries who've got perhaps some of the different models um, different to the to, to sort of uh, the traditional Western ones. So what are some of the philosophers saying about happiness? Can you give us any uh, any little nuggets? <laughs> um, well, I suppose um, you could look at um, uh, some of the earlier Greek philosophers that, that you know, when I said earlier on about the sort of eudaimonic versus hedonic. So you you had um, maybe sort of two different schools of thought. So one of them was the hedonic, which um, was like basically, you know, get whatever you want. It doesn't matter about anyone else. As long mm. as you've got your own happiness, you know, you kind of go for that. Um, and then you would have a more sort of, oh, that's called hedonic. Um, uh, and then eudaimonic was, as I say, this a little bit more about sort of self-fulfillment and a bit more long term. Um, and then you move, if you look at... Um, uh, sort of the utilitarian. So if you look at uh, John Stuart Mill um, and uh, Bentham, um, the utilitarianism, which is the sort of concept of the greatest happiness for the greatest number. So again, that's like being, you know, like thinking about, um, uh, you know, as I say, you know, how many, the, 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 the happiness of the majority. Um, mm -hmm. But that sometimes obviously can come at a cost to other mm. other people. Um, and um, and there's always tensions between happiness, but and also and your own freedoms and restrictions on that. But obviously, you know, one person's happiness can be another person's, um, you know, restriction. And there's those tensions, yeah. you know, yeah. between between the two. Um, but I'm quite I'm quite fond of Epicurus, who um, <laughs> he had quite a kind of quiet philosophy, um, and he 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 was. Uh, yeah, so so sort of um, kind of withdrawing a little bit, you know, sort of from 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 community a bit. And uh, but he he was uh, he was sort of um, what's the word? Um, the equality for women. So this is obviously mm -hmm. like thousands of years ago. But he was thinking that you know there should have. I like the uh, sound of this should, guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it was a bit more about sort of like peace and harmony and living with nature and things things like that. You know, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So what do the students who do the module, what do they get out of doing it? I think they actually get quite a lot. And, and one of the things that David's done uh, this year is he's putting together um, so that there's going to be, there will, will be, as I say, so we've got a list of seminars which will inc include sort of Greek thought and utilitarianism, economics, politics, Bhutan and, and other countries, um, including the UK. Um, but there's also going to be a well-being theme and activity. So the idea is that obviously students will also be able to look at maybe some genuinely like sort of top tips and ideas that might promote uh, happiness and, and, mm. and well-being. So, you know, things like activity and exercise, gratitude diaries, um, mindfulness, meditation, giving, connecting, friendship, uh, reminiscences. There's all sorts of things. So each each week it will kind of build up. Um, and certainly last year... Um, we would normally look at, um, you know, some sort of happiness clip and, and get, you know, on, on, dif on different things and get people to sort of think about that. Um, say things like maybe keeping a gratitude diary, for example. Mm -hmm. um, 
can we just get the whole of Newcastle signed up to this module? Can we just all do it together? I think everyone, that sounds like everyone could benefit from that. <laughs> do you know, I, I, I loved it. I loved it as a student. I thought it was a great module. It was one of, definitely one of my favourite ones. Um, and, um, and and as I say, it, it kind of connects you to the past and it connects you to, to you know, the same philosophy of ideas. And it, it makes you realise just um, how much we all think about these things. Mm. But we actually never really explore them you know we, we say things all the time it's the same with like words like equality or inclusion or diversity we just use these words but we don't really unpick what does it mean what does it mean you know to, um to have equality what does it mean to have rights what are rights who has them who doesn't you know what what, what are they we, we use them a lot and i think happiness is one of those things and you hear people if, oh if I, if I can only have if i only just have and they're always projecting onto yeah. what, what's you know what's going to bring them happiness um and even though i mean you can sort of say to them that the only thing is when you get whatever it is that you think will make you happy you have this sort of psychological adaptation so you become used to it so it's like having a new car you're quite excited aren't you for the first you know couple of weeks oh i'm in my new car but it wears off yeah and that's that's i'm afraid the same for an awful lot of um other ideas that we think of as, as bringing us happiness i have a um I was about, I'm quite fond of uh, Oliver Berkman, who used to write for The Guardian. He just finished uh, a couple of months ago. Um, but I remember one of his very early columns and um, I, I cut out what he'd said in it. And I used to keep it next to my bed because I just thought it was a really good reminder. And he talked about happiness and he, he had some top tips. And these were collect experiences and not things. Do something good for your community and volunteer. Spend time with your partners, family and friends. Spend time outdoors in nature. but And never assume you know what will make you happy. Mm. And I thought that was like probably the best thing of all. Every mm. time you catch yourself going, if only I... <laughs> Quite often, that will not be the case. I think it's just keeping your mind open, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, something that perhaps made me happy 20 years ago won't necessarily make me happy now you know when I was when I was when I was a young student I was you know I wanted to go out and drink all the time and and now the idea of going out on a Saturday night is not my idea of a good <laughs> yes. it's not my idea of a good time um, and I'd much rather be doing you know something else um, yeah. so I think it's interesting how yes your ideas of happiness and what brings you happiness change, change. Um, yeah. depending on, on your age wonder... and your circumstance yeah I, I think that's true I think age and circumstance but there is also a sort of the, the societal influence too isn't it yeah because actually it's like you're told that these are the things that you have to do to make you happy you know you have to go to university and you'll have to party and you know go clubbing and you these are all these things that you have to do in order to be happy and I'm not quite sure sometimes actually how much choice you have in that um you know these influences are very yeah. very strong yeah um, I remember when I was making my university choices and we are talking way back sort of 97 98 um and I wanted to do archaeology. That's what I wanted to do. I'd done some volunteering at um, some local museums, um, washing washing bits of pot and bone from digs and things, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, but people were like, oh, you can't do that. Do a proper degree. <laughs> so I did. I did history, which was great. You know, I, I I enjoyed history as well, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And then I turned up at university first year, and. I absolutely hated it because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so I transferred into my 
I transferred to archaeology, but I'd left it too late to go into the mm. first year. So I had to do two first years, which was actually worked out quite well because I knew how much work I had to do to, to pass the first year. Yeah. Um, but I was living for the archaeology modules that I was doing on my history degree. And I was getting firsts in all of those. And I was doing OK in history, but I, I was oh, I was so happy when I was sitting there learning about Egyptian hieroglyphs and Egyptian food and drink and all mm. of this sort of thing. And I was like, what am I doing? I, I can't waste three years doing something that I don't want to do. So I transferred. And I think there's too much pressure sometimes, I think, as you were saying, yes, you must go mm. to university. That's the only route. Um, yeah. And it's about and, thinking, and I mean, actually, there are other ways. Yeah, there are other and, ways to, to get there. And there's other times to do it. Like myself, yeah. I didn't go to university when I was younger. Um, and you can come back later and do different things. And you, it, it, life is very surprising. <laughs> uh, the things that happen and the options that come your way. If you'd asked me, you know, even in my early 40s, would I have been good to you? I would have probably laughed and said, I don't mm -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. You have to have an open mind. And, and also maybe, I think we also have a, a, I think we're kind of, again, maybe influenced to think that we are, we are all very fixed somehow, that we have fixed notions about who we are. But that's certainly not my experience. I think I think we, we, we change all the time. Our life experiences, like I've just described, change us and can change us quite fundamentally. And um, that, But that in itself can open up new opportunities. If, yeah. you, if you restrict yourself to a very narrow view of who you are or what you might do, then um, I think you'll lose out. Mm. So you said, you, you sort of touched on it earlier when you were talking about young people and their mental health um, can you say a little bit more about that in terms of yeah i suppose when we when we first talked about doing this interview you were you were talking about how you know in in the media you know young people students have been have been told your your life your life's over your a levels have all gone wrong and and now there's all this stuff happening at, at universities and and all the all the positive cases and things like that and your university time isn't going to be you know the usual traditional time um what's how that can't be good for people's mental health mm. uh, yeah i think um i i think it i think it is really difficult and i think for them this year in particular because of all that's happened it's made it even worse for them because this sort of sense of expectation that this is what you have to be doing um and the pressure is piled on um at, at school but it's not just the school's fault that the, they get pressured in turn with their you know mm. Uh, league tables and then the parents feel pressured and and and, um, and as I say there, there just doesn't seem to be very much um, in terms of real choice at all um, it's, it's it's very narrow um, and I, I think I, you know I, I remember when my elder daughter was at school going when we were going to uh, she was away to pick her A-level uh, subjects and you know parents you know you all go along and um, as we walked into the, the the school hall, they were playing Tina Turner's "Simply the Best," and <laughs> I felt quite intimidated. You know, on behalf of all these young people, it's like you know, like no pressure there. Then you've got to be simply <laughs> the best. Well, I I think and 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 also there's so much influence on it all being um, academic. You know, the I mean the number of prize givings I used to go to when my daughters were younger, and there was never prizes for caring or kindness or, you know. Um, just, just, you know, just getting through sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and 
it, it's yeah. So I, I I do I do feel for them, and I think at the moment though, and and I and I I certainly heard a number of uh, you know radio interviewers saying to people this time round because of the mix up with the A levels, you know, um, do you think your life's been ruined? And the, you know the person replying yes, and I thought well actually why are you even saying that? You know you you, you nobody should be thinking that their life's ruined because they've got the wrong grade at at you know at A level. Um, obviously it was wrong what happened and it's it's really unfortunate and I certainly think people should be you know um, standing up about it and things like that but it, it's hard if you start saying that to people um, because then they're going to assume that that's that's the case it's a completely um, leading question isn't it? It, it, <laughs> it, it it is I think it's very often the same it's like when quite often you get victims of crime um, you know you'll see them the report of some awful tragedy in the court case and it's like so-and-so's life was ruined you know it's going to be ruined as a result of and I always feel like saying well actually who are you to say you know you know people can overcome difficult situations and tragedies and it doesn't have to ruin their life and it certainly isn't helpful if somebody tells them that that's what's going to happen. So what brings you happiness then Libby? We've talked about this the politics of happiness course um what makes yeah. you happy, Libby? What does it mean to you? Um, I think, well, see, I think lockdown um, just brought it home to me. Um, what I probably already knew, but I've been so busy over the last few years working and caring that you lose sight of it. So the things that matter to me are the people that I care about. Um, uh, partner, sister, brother, uh, my mum, who's still in a care home, and I currently have not been able to visit her for the last few weeks, obviously because of the situation. Um, that, but I've been, I, but um, I've got, an, I'm going to be seeing her next Friday, so oh, good. that will make me very happy. Um, my two daughters and grandson, um, they are just the the light of my life. Um, they are wonderful. Um, so proud of them both. Um, and. I suppose other things it's just been out and about. I, I live near the coast. I'm so lucky. Um, I go walking on the beach most days. I love the beach. I love Northumberland. Um, I love uh, I, I go bird watching. I love, I love, I love walking. Um, I've currently been quite enjoying cooking since lockdown, which is quite funny. Um, so I'm now queen of muffin making. <laughs> why, why, is, why is that funny? <laughs> I don't know, because my, fam- my family... <laughs> We'd probably be going, what's she doing now? <laughs> yeah, I'm baking bread. I'm I'm being very 50s housewife at the moment, you know, okay. working from home. Um, but I'm quite happy with that, you know. I moved. I moved house again just before lockdown. I had a sort of, you know, my dad died and moved house. It was just, I mean, everything happened in the space of, you know, 10 days. So I found myself at the start of lockdown in a completely new place as well. It's like, oh, oh my goodness. You know, um, and and then not being able to see anyone so it was it was pretty overwhelming but now um i again i was again one of the lucky things i was able to go out walking all the time hearing the bird song the mm. peace and quiet mm. during lockdown was wonderful absolutely wonderful it's the one thing i'd say since we've come out of lockdown is the noise i'm struggling a bit with the noise yeah so yeah. much noise you're um, not the first one to say that either that's yeah. that's something that's come, come it up was, a few times it was absolutely lovely Mm. um and uh and reading i love reading um and, and i like i like doing this I, I i when i was doing the interviews for my phd research um i love speaking to people i love hearing mm. people's stories um mm-hmm. i 
like hearing I love listening to older people in particular um, and um, I think that probably all of us should listen more to older people they've got listening to their stories is fantastic what, what is it what is it about listening to them that's that brings you happiness I, th- I think because well in my experience anyway but as people move towards the end of their life things that they perhaps maybe weren't able to share when they were younger for whatever reason or just didn't want to sometimes there's a need to do so and mm-hmm. that there may be um a, a space for them to pass on things that they maybe haven't had a chance to um well, i'm thinking of here my my uh, my aunt is uh, going to be 90 next month and she is just a fantastic storyteller you wouldn't mm-hmm. believe um but those the, the hearing the experiences of, of of a whole life are absolutely fascinating um and and i, th- I think we we as a society we don't value older people um I think that we have very negative perceptions of older people and I think that we need to, to reconnect again uh, with them and listen to their wisdom, listen to their stories um, because, you know, as I say, they've got a whole lifetime that lived. So really interesting perspectives. I've done, um, on previous projects, we've done personal storytelling with um, older people and we did a great project a few years ago um, at the Grange in Throckley, which is a day centre for older people. And so many times you'd somebody would say to you, oh, you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to so-and-so. I've got, I've done nothing with my life. I've done nothing interesting. You want to yeah. talk to them. They're the characters. And I'm like, no, I want to, I want to talk yeah. to you because everybody has gotten, has, has lived a life, had, had experiences. Uh, and then you start talking to these people and, you find out that they once flew Spitfires during World War Two, or <laughs> yes. or yeah. helped build nuclear power stations, and also you know all sorts of different things. And mm. it's like you've done nothing with your life. <laughs> that's that's um, it. And it's mm. nobody starting a project, a new storytelling project. Never people yeah. never cease to amaze me in terms yeah. of what they what they come out with and what they've experienced. I, and I also think that women, particularly women I've spoken to when when they're older because they very often denigrate what they've done. Oh, I I didn't do anything. I was just I was just a wife and mother or you know they they and then you go you know no you've done a wonderful thing. You know like you know there's that quote you know women hold up half the world but a lot of women do all the stuff that doesn't actually get praised because they weren't flying spitfires but you know what they were looking after children and they were yeah. caring for elderly parents and they do they do amazing things and, and again we, we very often don't don't value um, mm-hmm. the contribution uh, that, that they make i've met some wonderful older women at uh, care homes uh, i was just thinking about one who um just again this this makes me happy but when i used to go and visit my dad it's not easy sometimes at care homes. There's people mm. with different kinds of dementia and sometimes they can appear quite distressed and unhappy. And even when you're trying very hard to connect, sometimes you, it's not always that easy. But um, I can remember um, the, the one woman um, and she used to walk round and round in circles and there was two doors into a lounge. So it was as if she was, um, you know, those weather people that come out and then they go back in. Yes. She was a bit like this. So she would appear in one door and then come round and then come in the other door round and round and round and round she go and you never thought oh, that's it's difficult isn't it you know what she's thinking but anyway I was leaving one time and I was going out the door as she came towards me and she just sort of she grabbed hold of my shoulders and she said I love you and I said oh and I said I, well, I love you too and she said I love you because you're you 
Now, I don't know who she meant and I don't know who she was thinking, but you know what? Not often in your daily life does somebody tell you that they love you for being you. (laughs) Well, that was wonderful. What a wonderful thing to have said by somebody that I don't even know. And for that moment, you have a moment of connection. Um, And, you know, again, she she unknowingly perhaps, but brought me a gift that day, which was probably a bad day that I went home thinking, Mm -hmm. wow, you know, Mm -hmm. what's not Mm -hmm. to like? you just have to go with the flow don't you really and not go you, you don't know who I am and then you, you, you can't love me you, you just have to go with it don't you and just as you say enjoy the moment yeah and I had to, um, I've also with my dad and, and my mum you know I've had some some wonderful moments my dad it's about the last two three years of his life he couldn't walk he couldn't talk it was very difficult to know um how he was um and it could be quite distressing but um he still loved music um, like a lot of people with dementia and I could put on some classical music and he would conduct it so he would he would and you sense that connection mm. and my mum is hilarious um, and says the funniest things um, and you know sometimes you know it's it's always bittersweet and there's always tears as well but it's it yeah it's it's really important and particularly at the moment as the situation has been going on and what's happened in the care homes you know there, there is that sense that we just don't really value people like that at all um mm. and so more than ever um i think we need to to think about you know people who are living their last few years out in care homes and, and think about the value that they can still bring to our uh, communities and our societies so what could what can we do then you know i mean that that's a big issue isn't it you know what can we do on a practical level to improve that? Or is there not... I think, I think I, even even just, even if you don't know anyone yourself, but even just the way we talk about older people, um, you know, we've, we've had it, we've, you know, when we talk, when they're they talking about COVID, they'll say, oh, well, you know, like older or vulnerable people, you know, maybe we should just stop them going out. Imagine if we talked about another group in that way. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Um, and also there's all the jokes about, you know, like, well, if I ever get like that, you know, put me into a care home or shoot me. Yeah. I think we also need to look at the language that we use to discuss people. Um, mm-hmm. I used to also work with people with learning difficulties for many years. So I'm very passionate about um, um, like sort of tar- <laughs> uh, challenging discrimination um, sort of where, where we find it. And I'm not um, I'm not fairy. I know sometimes when you get to end stages of dementia, we can't ex- include people in in some parts of our society it's not possible and it's not even possible to look after them at home like like it was for my mum and dad uh, we need care homes you know and and we need but we need to and i'm not also uh thinking that we should prolong life unnecessarily either but i think care and comfort are words that and kindness um and listening um mm. and thinking about um, as you say the people that we're looking after in care homes um, the whole of their lives are important. I, I'm actually, unlike a lot of people, people say that they're frightened of getting dementia. I'm not particularly. I'd be frightened about the kind of care I might get, mm. but not about the dementia itself. I would be feel more reassured. And, and the other thing is an awful lot of the carers that I've met, paid carers, you know, in care homes and in the communities, um, pretty much do a wonderful job. You know, despite our sort of negative perceptions of care homes, an awful lot of them are doing incredible jobs, including some over COVID who actually said that they would live in and stay stay, and did so at some care homes rather than risk um, bringing it in, you know, to the... I mean, could you imagine... I'll be honest, I wouldn't be signing up to do 24-7 PhD. (laughs) 
or, or, why, many why other, or many other jobs, <laughs> I can tell you now. But, you know, I think what an extraordinary, you know, uh, thing to do. I mean, that's just, and, and again, you know, we pay, we pay carers peanuts. Um, and, uh, well, I think hopefully, well, no, I don't know, but, you know, we should, <laughs> we should be looking at what's been happening and thinking about the people in our society who actually deserve um, yeah. the, you know, pr- pr- yeah. proper wage and proper yeah. value. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. Um, what do you think a person needs to do to be happy? I think some of those things that I said earlier. I I, I mean, there's there's not magic wands, and I'm and again, I'm not saying because sometimes some people are in absolutely horrific situations, and saying to them, "Oh, just do a little bit of yoga and mindfulness" is completely inappropriate. Mm. Um, I. And I, and I do think that we need to look at some of the people in our poorer sections of society to actually, um, uh, we, we need to um, make sure that people have got what they need um, in terms of everyday life to make sure that they can they can live um, a reasonable um, and happy life. But I think over and above that, sometimes we neglect simple things which make a difference. So eat well, make sure you've drunk plenty of water, uh, sleep exercise, spend time with family and friends, spend time in nature. Um, you know, these are things I think we tend to go, oh, they're not they're not really proper things. But actually, I, I know I know when things were very tough when I was caring and I had some absolutely terrible days where I just thought I can't I just cannot cope with this. I just there's too much being demanded of me and I can't cope. Generally taking the dog out for a walk, by the time I came back um, it's almost like it was annoying because you'd think, actually, I feel a bit better. And then I was like, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, it's not magic wand stuff, but sometimes it can it can help. Um, and and maybe, again, I, I think our, our society, as I said, you were talking earlier about all those pressures, all that running around. Why? Mm. Why, are we, why are we making people so stressed and unhappy? You know? Um, and I might miss my grandson. He's just so excited about the world you know he's picking up dandelions and stones and going wow you know and it's like yeah um but some of the stuff that they would know when they're when they're older as i say you know young people the things that they're being stressed about why are we putting that on them why you know there's something about us as a society that we need to look at the bigger picture about what it what it is you know uh, to grow up in in this in, in the uk at the moment yeah and do you have a happy place? That might be a, a, a tough one, but you've, you've kind of mentioned there going out for a walk on the beach um, and being able to do that most days. Do you, do you have a, a favourite place that you like to be that helps calm yourself? And I, I, Yes, I think, I think the beach is, is mm. pretty much my happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, there's something about... I always like... I like the feeling that I am just so tiny. You know, like the like the grain of sand. So when you stand on a beach and you look out towards the horizon, and it's so vast, isn't it? It's so huge, and the sky is so huge, and you're just this tiny little grain, this little speck who's only alive for a nanosecond. You know, within this, the scheme of things, and somehow I find that comforting. I find like it. It's not being important, if you know what I mean. It's not being successful, and it's not being. It's it's actually just being part of the whole. Um, and so when when you stand there and you just breathe that 
you just think all the people that have been here before me who've stood and just you know watched the waves roll in and roll out mm. and breathe the sea air um, and you feel connected yeah well I think that's a perfect place to end on there Libby on the beach on the beach <laughs> and actually Excellent. it's a it's a lovely sunny day today, so uh, maybe that's where we should all be right now. Make the most I'll, of it. I'll certainly be heading off shortly, yes. <laughs> but get, get my walk in, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Libby. It's much appreciated. Some really interesting insights into, um, yes, the the idea of the politics of happiness, how actually it's been talked about for centuries millennia um and we are still learning about it and experiencing it ourselves in in our own ways so thank you so much for your time oh it's been a pleasure thank you very much so that was my chat with libby what did people think should i start with you kath i think you better because i think i need to redeem myself uh after lowering the tone earlier on <laughs> because i never thought doing doing these podcasts that would actually incorporate John Stuart Mill and the hedonist Greek philosophers in a, a Guide to Happiness interview. So it's quite it, rarefied, it, isn't it? Yeah. It was a bit, a, bit of a bit of a mouthful as well. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, once Libby explained all about where she was coming from with that, it was absolutely fascinating. Um, and... There were so many things that, that you, you could talk about in this, but uh, the thing that struck me particularly was when she talked about getting a new car, not not her personally, but it was part of her work, that when people get a new car, they feel happy. And then after they've had it two weeks, they think, I need a next model, or it's just a car. <laughs> and I thought this... There is that lack of contentment sometimes, isn't mm -hmm. it? That I think is, is part of the thing that she's, she's researching. So, yes, I've got this idea of people aspiring to a new car and then thinking it's not it's not quite right. So very interesting. Yeah, I, I could really relate to that as well. Because it's, it's, it's one thing, I'm always coveting new musical instruments. Like I've had the same bass guitar now for 20 years, 25 years or something like that. So I'll go into these shops, these music shops around Newcastle and just kind of look at these rows and rows of shining <laughs> Fender jazz basses. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, that costs as much as a small car. I really need it. I re you know, things will be so much better if I have that. You know, little niggles that I get with my own money. I'll just fix all of that. I'll be so much happier if I get it. Um, and I've just been thinking recently about, well, you got to kind of project yourself forward you know, there's the thrill of getting it home and unboxing it and playing it for the first time. But then picture yourself in five years' time playing the same thing. And, you know, it's become normal and it's no longer new. It's just kind of part of the fabric. And actually, is spending all that money on something like that, is that actually going to bring you that happiness long term? You know, mm -hmm. it's an awful lot of money to pay for a sort of quick, sort of quick thrill, as it were. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Kath. That, that's, that, that, really, that spoke to me. But the, the the other thing that that really struck me about what she said was this kind of kind of chain of of pressure that people and stress that people are under, yeah, um, yeah. particularly this week. You know, you, we're getting towards half term, and it's one thing that happens in our household as we get towards half term is is the kids really start stressing out because you know they're tired and teachers are tired, and the school leadership are tired and everybody's under stress and it's all just kind of a cascade of of stuff going on, and. Um, 
afterwards, after I listened to the, the interview, I was thinking, well, you know, because well, I'm part of that chain at work and I'm also part of that chain at home. So, you know, I've got to be careful about, you know, am I passing on my stress? I'm stressed and tired all the time. So am I, am I stopping people being happy because I've got to pass something on or, or I'm just doing it without even thinking about it? Yeah. And why, why we feel we have to do it to ourselves as well. This, mm-hmm. this constant, uh, you know, to-do list, which will never be, which will never be completed. And yes, there's the stress that's passed on to students and, you know, you must go to university, you must do this course, you must do this. It's like, well, why actually? There are other, mm. other ways and other paths. So yeah, I could relate to that. Every, yeah. That, that stress that we put ourselves under and is it really necessary? And actually, the lockdown period has kind of given, I think, a lot of people that that time to actually reevaluate. You know what's really yeah. important. Mm. Um, yeah, I really hope that stays with people. Mm. I, I hope that doesn't kind of just disappear into the ether once things go back to normal. And we just get back back into it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. When you were saying there, Chris, about buying something new and it's new for a short time, it all of a sudden a very little a little nugget of happiness popped into my head when i when i think about the joy i get when i peel the plastic back off a new (gasps) iphone or whatever it is um and it only lasts about two or three seconds but there's something really pleasurable (laughs) this this podcast is now not safe for work about peeling that plastic off i don't know what it is um there must be some psychology in the whole packaging of things like that as well that's part of the process isn't it i think of unwrapping something and uh seeing it for the first time i don't know yeah part of the design yeah mm. as much as as much as the actually holding the thing and using it it's uh, discovering it <gasps> i really like the story about uh, the gross domestic happiness in bhutan oh that was great well, wasn't bhutan. it yeah 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 i just i've heard that story before about about it and uh yeah it's uh, i love the fact that it's circumventing this constant drive to always be acquiring value mm-hmm. and not it's not about money it's about people yeah. and that's always been what's really resonated with me about that story yeah. yeah yeah i thought that was great i love that little snippet that was really good thank you so that was my chat with libby um if you've been inspired by this podcast episode then we would love to hear from you Uh, We love to hear your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide or on Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. And as always, I want to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. And I'm going to hand over to Kath now, who is going to introduce our interview for next week. Kath, who have we got coming up next week? Uh, Next week, we are listening to Andrea Carter, who's lead producer at D6 Culture in Transit. And she manages the development and delivery of D6's artistic programme and audience development strategy. Mm. And that's a big job in the current COVID world. So listen out for her thoughts on retrospective happiness and also her book recommendations. Hear me ask questions like this. 
Do you sometimes find yourself doing things that you don't look forward to, but then end up thinking, wow, that was, that was, that was really good. That, that did something for me. So happiness comes after, after the event. Can you, can you relate to that? And hear her give answers like this. I I really can actually yeah I I I really can and quite often that might be in a a professional work context where you need to present or or represent and that that feeling of of worry that you carry with you for weeks days or months is something I can definitely relate to so yeah I like the idea of kind of retrospective happiness or the realization that you were kind of fueled from adrenaline or fueled from something. And actually, that felt good. <laughs> so we've reached the end of another episode. We really hope you've been enjoying listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. <laughs>